The Southern U Podcast is brought to you by Darton Archery. For over 70 years, Darton Archery has been leading the way in archery innovation. With over 30 patents spanning over 60 years, it's easy to see why many archers and bow hunters have chosen to shoot a dart. Darton's patented dual sync cam system gives the archer one quarter inch draw length adjustments, adjustable holding weight options ranging from 85% to 65%, and the super easy to tune e-system for quick adjustments and perfect arrow flight. For more information or to find an authorized Darton dealer, visit dartonarchery.com. That's D-A-R-T-O-N-A-R-C-H-E-R-Y.com. Guys, welcome back to episode 003 of the Southern U podcast, where we try to educate landowners here in the southeast for anything from management practices to habitat improvement. And in this case, for this episode, we're going to be talking about harvest expectations for whitetail deer here in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, <laughs> if you notice, if you're watching this, um, we are down a man. <laughs> today we are uh we're down jeremy uh text us at about five o'clock this morning and said hey guys pretty sick not gonna make it and yeah. we said please don't <laughs> yeah pukers don't get around me no no, no we don't play that game they're right a no-go nope not at all so uh but yeah you guys uh maybe throw a prayer up for uh jeremy hope he gets to feeling better quickly um but today we do have a really good um uh, episode in store for you uh, my name is Taylor McMurtry of Broadside Marketing and Branding. I'll be kind of co-hosting this thing with the man, the myth, the AL mm. deer legend, <laughs> Matt Brock, <laughs> also uh, wildlife biologist too. So, um, so yeah, this is something that I have been pretty excited about trying to dive into mm-hmm. because I see this kind of stuff debated online all the time. We, you know. I feel like hunters attack each other a lot more than they support each other for the most part. It's Mm -hmm. kind of silly. Um, But I feel like kind of the birth of, or not not the birth of, maybe the the explosion of the um, social media kind of boom and hunting shows and stuff like that, they make you feel like a loser if you don't shoot 170 inch deer every year Mm -hmm. consistently no matter what no matter where you live like you're just you're a loser if you don't do that Mm -hmm. you know and so um i think that especially here in the south and i mean anywhere in the country for sure but here in the south it just needs to be said we need to talk about that's a different planet Mm -hmm. right that's a different uh completely separate category than it is here in the south things aren't the same so, um, and you know, a lot of people don't have access to the farms that mm-hmm. these guys that you're watching kill, you know, 200 plus inch deer, 170 plus inch deer on a consistent basis. We don't have, you know, the average person doesn't have access to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm pretty excited about today's episode. We're going to get to pick the biologist brain a little bit mm. and, uh, you'll get to hear me not say a whole lot, except for when I stick up for the, the rest of us, the little guys, you mm-hmm. know, the the lay people who aren't biologists and don't have the uh, the knowledge and the know-how. So I'll be uh, taking up for us. But like, well, what if I just want to shoot something? You know, <laughs> go ahead, Mr. Biologist. <laughs> can I just shoot something? <laughs> so, so uh, Matt, let's just uh, let's jump right into this, man. Um, this was all kind of uh, Matt's idea to kind of bring this uh, episode. Uh, we had some other stuff planned that we we're going to talk about, but. Um, just kind of felt like this is something that is a little bit more pressing, I guess, a little Mm -hmm. bit more of a a hot topic. So when we're talking about harvest expectations for deer in the South, I mean, obviously we're here in Alabama, 
even within the state of Alabama, I'm here in Marshall County, which mm-hmm. we talked about on the last episode, a vacuum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just, it's kind of a weird thing that there's not as many deer here as other counties, but um, you're in Fayette, mm-hmm. so you got, you know, a little bit more to work with there than Absolutely. we did. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, what what is the average landowner, the guy that has 40 acres of family land mm-hmm. that he gets to hunt, or the person who you know, gets in a, a lease by himself around here, which is kind of rare, but right. uh, that maybe doesn't have thousands and thousands of acres to hunt and thousands of, to manage and, and do this kind of stuff. But, you, you know, what is the uh, kind of where do we start on that kind of harvest expectation for those type of people? So the first thing that I do when I meet with a landowner or a leaseholder is find out, you know, what are your objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? What would you like to kill? Um, you know, let's set some 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 age limits or some age boundaries you know are you trying to get deer to a certain age class uh, are you trying to grow 120 inch deer 130 inch deer all those are important because it helps me understand you know what they expect out of the property and uh, once i know that then i can do one of two things i can say okay you have the ability to reach your objectives or i'm going to have to tone you down a little bit because you've watched too many hunting shows from the midwest or You've been talking to too many people who own 5,000 acres in the Black Belt. And, you know, for the average guy, what they're able to accomplish is not reasonable. And it's not going to happen. So, you know, I try to find out what their objectives are. And once I know that, we start making um, recommendations based off baseline data. So if I don't have data from that particular property, I try to find data from properties that are in close proximity. Find okay. out, you know, what what's the main beam length average on a two-year-old deer, three-year-old deer, four-year-old deer. Um, you know, you can get some of that data from the state. You can get it from, from clubs and properties that have, that have taken that data. So if you're not taking data, start. Okay, start taking data. And it doesn't have to be elaborate data. Just take something. Yeah. Um, you know, just body weights. If I can get have an average body weight, um, average antler score per age class, main mm-hmm. beam length, basal circumference number of points inside spread those type things that helps out a lot Uh, on does you know age lactation lactation is very important Uh, get your weight and on lactation that's easy to check Um, you can just pull on the teat early in the season milk's probably going to come out okay and you'll know if that doe is lactating or not Um, but if you're farther along in the season you may have to actually take your knife and and cut through the milk sack which a lot of you folks can't do anymore uh, because you drop them off straight at the processor as soon as you pull the trigger um but you know start you need to you need to start collecting data um it just helps us make better decisions because I, I tell people all the time if if you give me crappy data i'm gonna give you crappy recommendations i, I don't have anything to work off of right so the more data uh, the better the recommendations but you know realistically speaking in the state of alabama with our current um regulations and the bag limits that we have if you can grow deer on the average property to three or four years of age then those deer should likely be eligible for harvest um it's super tough to grow deer older than those age classes because there's just too many people on the landscape yeah and there's too many cameras in the woods and if you have a 120 inch three-year-old which is potentially your next superstar um i guarantee you you're not the only one that has that deer on camera right sure well and i think it's funny you say that too because i know a lot you're going to hear us compare and contrast midwest versus south midwest Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of midwest data out there and there's a lot of you know a a lot more um even video out there for whether you're you know throwing stuff out on youtube or or if it's an actual show you know on a network or something like that but most of that stuff doesn't take place here right. for, for good reason. Right. right? Yep. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I would like for you maybe to, to talk about the, the, maybe the difference between, like you said, Hey, there's too many people in the woods and you know, mm-hmm. and, and like, you're not the only person that's got that deal right. on camera. So is that kind of something that's more, I want to say exclusive, but more, um, Southeast centric than than in the Midwest, you know. Well, like, if you travel across the United States, um, you know, you think I used to think, you know, Kansas, Iowa, all these places are remote. They're really not. There's a farm on every hundred acres mm-hmm. out there, um, but oftentimes they're not inhabited, or you know, the family's moved off, or the kids are going back. To their, you know, they've gone to school, or they're 
they've moved the town and nobody's living in those homes. Uh, but I think the bigger factor is they have a lower deer density. And because they have a lower deer density uh, and the, the area is so wide open, they also have lower bag limits. So although um, we have a lot more deer, we have higher bag limits, um, there's also a lot more people in the woods. Um, you know, and, and, and it just, it's super difficult for deer to survive to those older age classes. And before I get too far, do not misunderstand what I'm saying is like, I'm not picking on people that choose to shoot any legal deer. Sure. I, it, it is well within your legal right to do that. Dang and right I, it is. you better believe it. <laughs> and you know, you, you shoot whatever makes you happy. As long as you're doing it legally, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem I have is when you have those people also complaining about not being able to harvest mature bucks. Right. Which I encounter quite often. I'm like, well, that's simple. Quit pulling the trigger. Just yep. stop pulling the trigger. That's right. But I saw a buck. I don't care if you saw a buck. If you want to kill him when he's five, you can't shoot him when he's two or three. That's right. Yep. So, um, you know, that, that's a choice they're going to have to make. But, um, you know, as far, let's, let's go back just for a moment and talk about that the hunter density thing. Mm. Um one thing that is unique to the south are clubs yep. and, and large leases where you've got 20, 30, 40, sometimes over 100 members. Oh, yeah, sure. And, you know, on any given Saturday or let's just say opening weekend, for instance, um, you may have 20 people on 2,500 acres. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you're, you're, you're base, you've got a, a hunter per 100, a little over 100 acres. Um, whereas if you were hunting public land on – Black Warrior Wildlife Management Area on that opening day hunt, you may have 350 to 400 hunters on almost 40,000 acres. Mm-hmm. You've got 900 to 1,000 acres to yourself. Right. So, you know, that that is a key factor as well. So when you've got somebody, you're turning loose, you know, 20 or 30 hunters on 2,000 acres every weekend for three and a half months, mm-hmm. harvest potential is really high. So you have to be careful what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and everybody thinks, well, you know, if I just kill one buck, or two bucks, it's not that big of a deal. Well, over the broad landscape, it is when everybody's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you just kind of have to watch your harvest. Um, we should probably touch on, and I've got all these antlers laying around. We'll talk about this in just a few minutes. But, like, you know, I've been asked, how many mature bucks can I expect to kill on my lease? Mm-hmm. And as a general rule of thumb, and this can vary widely, um, if you can, if you have a mature buck to hunt per 150 to 300 acres, that's pretty good. Okay. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, there's areas that are going to be better than that, mm-hmm. but you know, just generally speaking, across the landscape where you have 40 to 100 acre landowners. You know, every few acres is owned by someone different. And right. you have, you know, X amount of people hunting over that landscape. Um, you know, the if you can if you can successfully produce a four-year-old buck or older mm-hmm. per 150 to 300 acres, that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, now, what should you expect out of those? And I've, I've, got, a, I've got a few here. Uh, just as an example, um, you know, this deer here scored 120 on the nose this is a 120 inch buck uh he's got 20 inch main beams you know eight to nine inch tines yeah um he's a respectable deer this was a five-year-old deer he weighed 202 pounds yeah i mean this this may be the part that sets the biologist off that deer walks by me with my bow in my hand it's (laughs) gonna get an arrow slung at it absolutely and uh you know i've like you're you're saying you know reeling in expectation but, you know, all that stuff kind of has to be adjusted to, like you said earlier, what what are you trying to manage for? You know, right. what, are, what are you what are what are your expectations or what are you trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, I would be tickled to death to take that that deer oh, yeah. out there with a bow and arrow, especially. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? But, Absolutely. Uh, somebody else may not. Somebody go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you'd shoot something like right. that. Right. Well, and, and years ago, I made the decision I'm no longer worried about antler score. I don't give a flip what yeah. they score. Right. I'm I'm hunting mature deer. I don't care if they score 105 or 155. Uh, that's that's what drives me, and that's that's what I prefer to do. <clears throat> Other people, 
you know, if there's a three-year-old 140 standing in a food plot and a, a five-year-old 110, they're going to shoot that three-year-old 140 every single time. And there's nothing wrong with that. If yep. it meets their objectives, that's fine. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's just different strokes for different folks. But if you want to know what an average mature buck that's four to five years of age in Alabama is going to look like, you're looking at it. 14 to 15 inches wide, 19 to 21-inch main beam, score somewhere between 115 and 125. That's going to be the majority of your deer. And while we're on that, I just want to say that it, it's in a, a bell curve as far as antler development goes. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a few deer well below 100 inches. And the closer you get to 120, you're going to have a higher proportion or percentage of those deer in that class. Then you're going to taper off and you're going to get your few 140s, 50s, 60s and above. Those are super freaks. I yeah. mean, they're, they're, they're freaks of nature. They're not common um even in the midwest they're not as common as what a lot of people think they are no i i mean i've i've hunted missouri i've hunted illinois and i've hunted kentucky um kentucky was public land the other two were private and i'm just i'm telling you if you go up there is there more deer that would score 150 plus Mm -hmm. in those states Mm -hmm. absolutely However, does that mean there's one behind every blade of grass and every tree? No. no. It's just, it's not like that. No. You know, and, and people kind of have an unrealistic expectation of those states as well. Right. Depending on what they're trying to do. But Right. But um, anyway, I've got a few other things around here. Um, this, this particular deer here, um, and the only reason I'm showing this is just as an example. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome, but um, this is likely at least – as far as I know, the oldest deer that I've ever killed, um, he was at least eight and, and possibly older, but here's a shed. Um, you guys aren't, if you're listening to this, I feel sorry for you because, uh, you know, if you need to, <laughs> yeah, need to jump on YouTube and watch it cause yeah. it's got some cool stuff to show you. Yeah. So you can see from, you know, approximately five years of age, he dropped this shed in 2019. So between five and eight years of age, you can see that he lost a little bit of main beam length. He lost mass. He lost hind length. Um, he was he had his best rack between five and six years of age, and typically speaking, that's generally what I see. Sometimes seven, eight. I've even seen deer produce their best rack at eight or nine years old. That's mm-hmm. unlikely, but it does happen. Um, you know, deer kind of like people, and it's hard to, to get people to understand, you know, they ask me all the time, well, Matt, I've got this five to six year old deer and he's, he's a six point. What's wrong with him? And I'm like, nothing, nothing's wrong. Absolutely. With nothing's wrong with him. No, look, all of us, even if we're fed the same diet yeah. and raised by the same parents, we're not all going to be Shaquille O'Neal right. or Derek Henry. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, you've got little puny runts like me, no matter what we <laughs> eat. So, um, you know, you can pump all the nutrition you want to deer. And you're still bound by their genetic limitations. And they're only going to produce what they're genetically capable of producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not going to get there unless you give them birthdays. Right. You know, they, they've got to have some age on them. Um, but, you know, deer like this, this deer scored 116. And I was through. This is, this is one, of, one of my proudest moments killing this deer with my bow last year. Oh, yeah, and he's a 116-inch sure. deer. I've definitely killed larger, lots larger. But, you know, this this was a – So, now, one thing I was going to ask you about that, you said that he's eight, possibly nine years old. Mm-hmm. How do you know that? that? I think that's something that I'd like for you, if you could, just to kind of touch on. Because yep. people talk about jawbone. And yeah, jawbone, jawbone. Look at their jawbone, jawbone, look at their teeth, and look at – and now, like, is it just, like, history you've got? The history. The, that, the trail camera pictures yes, of him? Yes, the stuff? history okay. with that particular deer. You can focus in on certain uh, antler characteristics and follow a deer through its entire lifetime. Um, you just got to know what to look for. And it's not always antlers. It can be notches in the ear. It can be patches on the throat. It can be the coloration around the nose and the lips. Um, you'll, you'll start figuring out what to look for with individual, even behaviors. You can tell one deer from, or from one year to the next, even according to their behavior. So, you know, just pay attention to things like that. But, um, gosh, what were we talking about? Um, that's funny. You said the characteristics I had one on camera for like three years in a row. Still mm-hmm. don't know what happened to him. I don't know if somebody killed him or whatever, but uh, a very puny, very scrawny seven point that was at least, because I know I've got pictures of him for three years. Mm-hmm. He's at least four years old, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, anyways, he had a, something up was up with one of his ears and right. one ear would, and we either, we would either call him 
droopy yep. or you know or <laughs> broken ear yep. whatever just and uh i would get him on camera all the time oh yeah i've never laid eyes on him mm-hmm. in the, you know actually in the, the middle of a hunt or anything so. yeah we've had a flop <laughs> he <laughs> flop. had a broken ear and uh, i actually i mounted the deer that way Oh really? Yeah, when I killed him, I was like, I took him to the taxidermist. I was like, "You've got to mount this deer with a broken ear." He's like, "You want?" I said, "Yes." I I, I wouldn't mount him if you're not, if you're not going to mount him with a broken ear. I don't even want to mount him at all. That's fine. But um, yeah. So what we're talking about is like you know knowing the age of deer on the on the uh, tooth wear aging technique. Mm-hmm. I'm really torn on how accurate that is because I've seen too many exceptions to the rules that you learn in school. I mean, is it not based on kind of diet too? If you're it, eating, yeah. So, <laughs> well, just like with our, you know, the wear on our teeth, um, diet, genetics to a deer, even soil type can affect the the wear on their teeth. So, you know, there's lots of things at play when you're aging a deer. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of biologists out there that say they know how to age deer based off tooth wear aging techniques. Mm-hmm. Some of them do, and some of them don't. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. Uh, you know, they just, they, they take the courses and they, they pass a few tests on how to age a deer and they just look for certain things and they're not willing to continually learn. And if you pay attention to jaw bones and the way that deer's teeth age and how they wear, it's an individual thing. They're mm. all individuals. So you can't always say, well, because of A, B, or C, this deer's five years old. That may or may not be the case, especially after they get three. If they're three or older, a lot of times, I, if I don't have any history with the property, if somebody just randomly hands me a jawbone and I know nothing, I'll say, well, he may be four, he could be three, he could be five, he could be seven. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's a mature deer, you know. Right. He's middle-aged or older. Right. Um. You know, once you start aging jawbone on a particular property for extended period of time and you kind of see how those deer age, then you can get a little more accurate. But I really lump them into three categories, fawn, one-year-olds, or two-plus. Okay. Because once they've replaced all of their teeth, they get all their teeth at two, um, once they receive all of them, there's so many factors at play on tooth wear aging. And that's, well, I mean, you can prove that. Like, well, I know, oh, they, yeah. they know they've replaced their teeth, but yeah. beyond that, right. it's like, okay. Yeah, and, and you know, one one way that I was able to determine that, you know, I question how accurate that method is, is by f- tracking deer from year to year. And when we do kill them on a certain property, and I look at the jawbone, and I'm like, that's just not what I was expecting. Because I know that deer's six, or I know that deer's four, and he's got the jawbone of a three-year-old, mm-hmm. you know. So that, that deer... This eight-year-old deer, if I showed you trail camera pictures of that deer, you'd look at him and say, oh, gosh, yeah, I mean, he's obviously old. Mm-hmm. He's sagging brisket, big pot belly, back sagging. You yeah. know, he just had the wrinkles around his eyes and things that started to droop. And uh, his jawbone says he's four. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. You, you, anybody you hand it to would not tell you that jawbone's any older than four. Wow. So. That's wild. And it's happened to, to multiple deer that, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, I just know of too many exceptions. Well, that's cool. I mean, something that, you know, like we talked about before, um, things that you always believe to be true, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you find out maybe there's not quite as much truth to them, like a, a buck track versus a doe track or right. a, or droppings. You yeah. know, like I was always taught, you know, it was raised that if you find droppings that are clumped together like right. that, oh, that's a buck for yeah. sure. And, <laughs> yeah. like, I, whenever you said that, I was like, hmm. Gonna, well, I'm and you know, <laughs> the truth of that is a lot of times those that are clumped together are deer that were bedded down and their bodies are not active. Um, so their their poop is, it's been sitting in their colon, sitting there, just waiting to be expelled and it's clumped up. Yeah, It has nothing to do with how big the deer is or how old the deer is or what sex it is. It was an inactive deer. And when it got up and became active, it pooped. So, you know, a lot of times when you find poop, around an active feeding area the deer's mm-hmm. been up a while feeding around it's strung out or it's just you know individual pellets mm-hmm. and uh you know those are just active deer man he's hurting so. some feelings that? <laughs> <laughs> he's make people mad at us <laughs> i mean i'm not trying to make anybody mad i said i'm you know we're just trying to hope but, hope that something we say you know is yeah. beneficial to somebody but but papa said you know i, I know <laughs> i know oh it's funny uh well yeah i know we kind of talked about this a little bit but because you're kind of more in the the realm of 
actively trying to put stuff in the ground to help deer, mm-hmm. whether that's either with a prescribed burn or if that's actually planting or right. whatever. But could we maybe kind of touch on um, this like soil slash nutrition yep. limitations? Because yep. uh, before we turned the cameras and, and stuff on, we were talking about it, just what we were going to, this episode was going to be about. And uh, you'd say, you know, look, it doesn't really matter to a degree you want to give a deer or any wildlife anything that you can mm-hmm. to help it to right. get to its you know like you said earlier the genetic potential but hey man it doesn't really matter what you feed it may not ever become Shaquille O'Neal you exactly know I mean? you know so I guess if you could just like in the south there are things that um for the climate and the soil type mm-hmm. tend to do better here there mm-hmm. are things that don't tend to do better here right. um could you kind of, I guess, just kind of talk about what you can do from a soil and nutrition perspective to kind of help? Achieve? Yeah. So, on that topic, real quick, um, I always go back to a study that Mississippi State did back in the mid 2000s. I think they started in the early 2000s because I was there. Um, but they looked at the deer from three populations of three major geographic regions within mm-hmm. the state. And um, they captured deer, they brought them into a captive environment. And they fed deer the same diet through multiple generations. And although there were great differences in body weights and antler scores from deer uh, between the Mississippi Delta, which is highly fertile soil, mm-hmm. very, I mean, I would compare that with anything in the Midwest. They produce some giants over there. Mm-hmm. The lower coastal plain, however, down in that sandy soil close to the beach, mm-hmm. a 150 pound buck is a big buck. You know, 180 pound bucks, a giant. Yeah. Um, you know, they're consistently killing deer well in excess of 200 pounds in the delta antler scores 150 160 170 even greater you know 120 inch bucks a really big deer in the, in the boot hill of mississippi so over time they fed those deer the same diet and what they noticed was with each generation of deer that were born in captivity on that same diet they got closer and closer to the same antler scores and the same body weights okay so there's no genetic limitations in the state of mississippi there's nutritional limitations in the state of Mississippi. And, <laughs> okay. you know, that's, um, it's all according to your soil quality and soil fertility. And you can do all the soil amendments you want. You're not going to change that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I tell people, don't worry about genetics. Just don't worry about the genetics. You're not going to change that. You're not going to really change your soil fertility. But what you can do is improve habitat so that the plants are bringing up the nutrients that are available mm-hmm. and making them available to the deer. And, you know, they'll grow to their potential in that particular region as long as you give them birthdays. And that's what it all boils back, you know, or comes back to is birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, the name of my business is Habitat First. And that's because I place a lot of value and focus on maintaining vegetation and native plants and habitat over food plots and supplemental feeding. Not that those are bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I think, you know, they're exactly what they're called supplements to what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you know, improve the, the habitat on the place through vegetation, I tell, you know, people from four feet and down, I want to see diversity and green stuff from chest high down. Okay. That's what's going to benefit deer. Uh, not just with food, but with cover, bedding, fawning cover. Um, they're getting food and protection four feet and down. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So now I'm going to play devil's advocate here a Mm -hmm. little bit. So now you said, hey, look, there are no genetic limitations in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. But what about Alabama? Mm -mm. (laughs) So so you're saying, given proper nutrition and given proper soil type, you know, everything that that these animals need, Mm -hmm. are you saying that we can – I know we're we're talking about harvest limitations and stuff too, but can Alabama grow – the same deer that Illinois and Kansas and other places can grow? They can grow deer to the same potential, but it's not going to, the bell curve is going to be totally different. What I mean by that, let's say that, you know, your average antler score in central Kansas, maybe 145, Mm -hmm. 155. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be higher than here. Sure. If you look at average body weights, it's going to be higher than here. All things equal, you know, if, if we had the same soil fertility, I'd say that we could easily grow what they're growing in Kansas. 
or anywhere else in the Midwest. But, you know, you'll occasionally see a 200-inch deer killed in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time they come from your more fertile areas. Yeah. Um, you know, the Black Belt, Tennessee Valley, mm-hmm. Bankhead. Oh, gosh. Uh, Let's not not open up the bankhead can of worms. You guys that are from Alabama, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not from Alabama and you happen to be listening to this, the the legend as of late has been, you know, you kill giants at bankhead. And, like, there's all kinds of memes. It's like, you know, people like bringing in T-Rexes that were killed at bankhead, you know, stuff like that. But, um, but, I mean, there's some truth to that. I think that there's – there's exceptions to every rule, but right. that's what they are. They're exceptions. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Perry's a guy that killed a whatever 185 inch deer during muzzleloader season a couple of years ago on yeah. Bankhead. I've scored several deer off of Bankhead that were in excess of 190. And several. And it's like, oh man, well we can do okay. Like, all right, let's just let's try this. Can you do that again right. in your lifetime? Replicate it. Can you do that again in you know in your lifetime in the right. state of Alabama? No, like probably I mean, not. I'm, probably not. I mean, you're talking about go buy a lottery ticket if you do, right? <laughs> because and let me put that into perspective for a minute. Nearly everybody that I know that has hunted in the Midwest for years has killed a 180 to 200 inch deer, if not multiple. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen eventually. Why? Because they're there. Yeah, you're not going to kill in Alabama what don't you know exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, and that's one thing I tell, you know, why can't we kill 150 inch deer? Well, heck man, you, you may only grow 150 inch deer every 10 years. Yeah. And then you got to be lucky enough to kill him. Look, you I, know? Yeah. I mean, I've said the same thing. If, if you are waiting in Alabama to pull the trigger on a deer that's 150 or better, you may go, you may go your entire life yeah. and never do that. I'm hunting you know? on what I would consider to be for Northwest Alabama jam up property. I mean, we, we've got a really great place. And in my lifetime, I started hunting when I was nine or 10. Mm-hmm. I, well, I was nine. I started bow hunting when I was 14. So from now until 39 years of age, I can tell you without question that I've had three deer on camera that were in excess of 150 that entire time. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you're saying like, this is great property. Right. And I've only had opportunity to kill one of them. You know, I saw one of those deer up to three. Yeah, which I, and I mentioned this on uh, previous episodes, but the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life in Alabama without question. I mean, it was 150-inch deer all day. It could have been more than that. I got a glimpse of him for maybe three seconds, Mm -hmm. maybe, chasing does on that lodge hunt thing I was talking about earlier. But the thing is, like, you know, I started hunting, with my dad when I was about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same deal, about 9, 10, 11 year old, whatever. Seriously started trying to like really seriously bow hunt when I was 19. Mm-hmm. I'm 34. Like, you know, I've laid eyes on one deer that'll go 150 right. and all that time, man, I'm just, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. I don't, I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. I oh, yeah. don't care. Well, like, it's, it's a goal of mine and I'm going to do it. One day, if the Lord grants me enough days on this earth, I'm going to kill 150 inch deer in the state of Alabama and I'm going to do it on my place. I'm not going to do it on an invited hunt. I'm doing it on my place. Um, it's going to happen. I mean, we can do it. Uh, we've had deer that I have absolutely zero doubt could hit 150, but they got killed at three or four years of age. Uh, and it happens every year, Mm. you know, um, and all you can do is congratulate those folks and, you know, tell them good job. Right. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm not sure. Well, not ill at anybody for shooting 130 or 40 inch deer. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> no, nobody could tell me anything no, if I killed no, one. No, you know? absolutely not. No, not at all. Um, and I, I guess that's probably the kind of a follow up with that is um, if you are a landowner and just say you have a smaller piece of property or something like that, you've got 40, 50 acres. We'll say we'll say less than a hundred mm-hmm. or something. Um, you know what? What do you need to pat yourself on the back? for you know or i guess for in terms of harvest or what do you need to kind of like pull the reins is it is it strictly um is it strictly the individual's uh criteria or a lot of times it is you know people hunt for different reasons and they're satisfied killing different age classes and and sizes of deer um so it all boils or you know comes back to what their objectives are and most of the time, mo- most of the time, everybody that I talk to, you know, we want to kill three to four-year-old deer. Most people are satisfied with that. 
and and reasonably so. You know, I, I think that's a reasonable expectation. Trying to get deer over four years of age, a lot of times is a futile effort. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on a lot of things. You got to have a lot of property. Um, you got to have good neighbors, and I promote cooperatives. Get to know your neighbors. Don't make enemies out of your neighbors. It's not going to help you, and it's not going to help them. Right. You know, you may start off, me and you may live beside each other. I may own 100, you may own 100 acres, and, you know, I may want to kill big deer, and you may not. That's fine. At some point in time, we're going to have to come to grips with it, and I'm not going to have to. I can't live a life of being mad at you because you shoot every deer that I let walk. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, you, you can't live that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> um so get to get to know your neighbors and discuss these things, talk about them, and I think that there's a lot of common ground that people can come to rather than being upset with what everybody's killing. Right. And I see that a lot. I'm gonna tell you what, deer cause more trouble. Yeah. They do. I mean, you, you want to make somebody upset? They may not show their their anger to you in front of you, but when they go home and they're sitting at the dinner table talking to their wife, they're like, "Golly, man, he shot another one of them bucks. I can't believe that." it's just you know it's human nature it's what we do we complain and gripe about everything but um you know get to know people talk about what you're trying to do not in a condescending way mm. you know um nobody wins when you do that no and i mean and you're only hurting yourself by being upset yes. they don't care i promise you after you have that conversation the other person doesn't care that's one exactly bit. right i was gonna say <laughs> that is a futile effort in a, a multitude of ways because oh, yeah. like you know uh we talk about it at you know church related stuff is like holding back holding a grudge you right. know is like drinking poison and hoping the oh, other yeah. person dies oh, yeah. you know and it's yeah. the same deal like man look if you're gonna be just torn out of the frame over somebody killing deer that you're letting walk like, yeah you can't live your life like no that. and i'll admit i've come full circle on that i mean I, I i started out killing deer and then i progressed into killing a little bit better deer and then a little bit better deer and then i was like okay i'm a trophy hunter now that's all i can kill trophy deer and it was like I made everybody miserable. Everybody around me was miserable. My family was miserable. My parents were miserable. My friends were miserable. I was miserable above all else. And I was like, I'm not living this way. Yeah. I'm not doing this. You know, just have fun. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a deer. Keep yeah. that into perspective of all the things we have to worry about on this earth. <laughs> That's right. A deer should not be one of them. No. It should not be one of them. So. No, I had an opportunity. I ended up not getting in the lease, but there was a lease in um, – and Mentone, you know, extreme uh, northeast part of the of the state, and uh, it was going to be a bow hunting only lease, which is, by the way, it's like a unicorn chasing around something mm-hmm. like that in Alabama. They're, they don't exist. <laughs> like I've looked and looked and looked. Like, I just want to find somewhere yeah. where all of us will bow hunt, you know. Yep. And uh, so, anyways, but the I was just kind of trying to pick the guy's brain that had uh, put the lease together and was like, you know, are we gonna? Is anybody going to get mad at me if I shoot, you know, a basket rack eight, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever? And he was, and he was, he's a traditional bow guy and, and has killed a lot of deer. He's a cool dude. But anyway, he was like, dude, it, like, it's a deer. Like, right. yeah, who, who cares? Exactly. You know what I mean? And, oh, yeah. and you don't hear that often. Right. Most of the time people, uh, well, you know, it'll be a $500 fine. Right. If shoot, well, <laughs> so it, you know, we have harvest restrictions on, sure. on most of the places that I help manage, but everybody's i mean we might rib each other if somebody shoots a deer they shouldn't shoot but it's all in fun you know it's not like we're going to impose a fine Mm -hmm. um uh, it's just not it's not worth all that there's no deer on earth is worth a a ruined relationship in my opinion no i mean it's not and like you said i mean i i do it because i enjoy it you know I, i enjoy having a bow in my hand and honestly I've said this for years, and this may be where the biologist pushes back a little bit, but I'm like, if if you take a a limited weapon like a bow and arrow mm-hmm. to the wo- to the woods every every time you go hunting, that in and of itself is a management plan. Absolutely, like, you can't kill enough deer with a bow to to do damage. In my, right. you know, I don't know, maybe you can, but I'm just like, if you're if you got rifles in the woods mm-hmm. and you know and dust and everything that sets foot on a greenfield, then that's you know, you could probably do some damage there. Absolutely. But if you're a bow hunter, that is your management plan. Right. As far as, like, I'm concerned. You right. know, if I wanted to kill everything that, that stepped out you're from You're still me, not going to do no, it. No, can't do it. Not like, going to do it. So, anyways. Um, 
but yeah, we've talked uh, kind of like harvest criteria, data collection, you know, how you know the importance of just collecting good data so that you can then make realistic mm-hmm. you know expectations for your harvest. Um, soil and nutrition limitations. I want to before we move on from that, I want to kind of jump back into that for just a second. Could you give maybe the the average landowner, like I said, sub hundred acres? Oh yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't answer that question. Well, it's all right. I mean, no, I, I just, we kind of we, we got chased carried away. Yeah. yeah, sorry guys. We'll come uh, back to that. See, so, I mean, what is what's something that is kind of economical, but also provides some nutrition that right. that also holds up well in this climate right. and soil type and that sort of thing? What's something? I tell that? people not to make this complicated. Okay, don't don't make this too complicated. Deer need a few things. Mm. They need cover. They need water, they need food, and they need space. And if you can arrange the cover and the food, water is not a limiting factor in most of Alabama, in the, in any, most everywhere in the south. Mm-hmm. Water is not going to be a limiting factor. Uh, even though we're in a drought right now, they still have a, you know water available to them. So if you can place food and cover in close proximity, even on smaller acreages, you will be a more successful hunter. Um Use things that deer prefer, you know, and, and if you can provide diversity, you know, I, I'm a pyromaniac. If y'all want to know what I do, I burn <laughs> and I burn stuff. Good. I love to burn. Uh, if I could just choose one management tool to use <laughs> a torch, it would be a drip torch yeah. and I would be so happy and content and everybody else around me would be too. Um, but you know, if, if you can incorporate burning and you know setting back succession mm-hmm. if you can't burn use a disc fall disking is a great option um you know i don't suggest that you mow your fields all the time every year that's what a lot of people do. every fall late summer early fall mow our fields well all you're doing is laying down more thatch you're just laying down thatch laying down thatch year after year after year you're not changing the vegetation you're likely um, making growing conditions better for grasses. And you really want more forbs and legumes and vines and flowering plants and those types of things. So if you can break the soil or just burn off the top layer uh, or do both, um, you know, that's going to expose seed that's been sitting in the seed bank for years, all types of things that, that deer really love, mm. quail love, turkeys love. Um, you know, like I, we focus on habitat. Now, as far as planting things, um, you know, for, for fall food plots, I love all, any of the perennial clovers mm-hmm. and oats, wheat, um, triticale, rye, rye grain, not rye grass. Okay. For those of you folks planting Marshall rye grass, stop it. <laughs> I know deer eat it. They, <laughs> well, um, I'm pretty sure there's some planted at my house. Oh, right I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I planted it. I had to plant it one year if I wanted a food plot, but because um, everything failed it was just so dry oh, the only yeah. thing that would germinate in december was ryegrass you know so um if you want a green food plot plant it but there are so many other options out there that are better you know i i have a strong preference toward the perennial clovers as far as having something out there that's going to provide nutrition for 11 to 12 months out of the year you know a lot of times in late july to early september october before the rains start coming mm-hmm. they can get kind of scarce and they'll go dormant or die back for a period of time but um it really just p- depends on the soil quality that you're in the moisture that's okay. there so um, that's usually only a problem in your you know higher elevation sites yeah okay and so i mean and shameless plug here but i know everybody here is a pretty big fan of vitalized seed you know absolutely some some mixes that uh, i asked you straight up one day i was like what is it that you like about their mixes opposed to you know other stuff and you said it has stuff that will that that will provide food forage nutrition Mm -hmm. all year like you know there's something popping up throughout the course of a year and that's kind of why you know and the way they've got their seed mixes developed they've got things that you can plant in succession behind each other mm-hmm. at each season. So, you know, you can come in with a spring-summer mix, and it's adding nitrogen to the soil. And then you come back with your fall mix, and it's using the nitrogen that has mm-hmm. been added to the soil and laying down organic matter for your next nitrogen crop. So, you know, it's just they, they, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. They really do well together. Cool. And the diversity that's in those mixes. The, the fall vitalized seed mix, mm-hmm. 
gosh, it's got like 14 different things in it. Oh, wow. It's, it's a nice mix. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. And all, and all that seems to do well here too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. I've been planting it for two years. Yeah. Yeah, it does well. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Uh, so I guess the, uh, the last thing that we'll say here, and we kind of wrap things up, uh, again, this is talking about harvest expectations for the South, and that can be um, – different depending on the person so i guess like what would you say to the person we've talked about a lot of different things is that how am i going to take this these principles or these things that we've talked about and apply them to my farm you Mm -hmm. know my little whatever 40 acres that i get to hunt you know what what's the best kind of method for for that take a camera survey find out what you have just find out what you have what's there um you know we can debate the the ethics of uh, baiting all day long but if you want pictures of deer use shelled corn just put out shelled corn don't try all this gimmicky stuff all these products that they sell their deer attractants go buy cheap shelled corn and uh, put it out find out what's there and it will help you rein in your expectations mm-hmm. you know you can't kill what's not there so find out what you have and also understand that you're not the only one hunting those deer so, you know, I, I hear people all the time that have 15 acres and they're killing seven, eight, ten deer off of it a year. That is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the legal right to do that? Absolutely. But how are you impacting the localized deer herd in the population? Imagine if everybody with 25 acres did that. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And that's why they had to lower the, the, um, the doe harvest in the Tennessee Valley. Tennessee Valley is very developed. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, right here where we're at. Marshall County, Blunt County, parts of Coleman County, Morgan County, mm-hmm. very developed. There's a home on every hillside, yeah. and there's very little cover for deer. There's pasture ground everywhere, yeah. uh, cattle everywhere. So, you know, just you, you really have to be careful how many deer you're harvesting. Mm. So, you know, for that 40-acre landowner, yeah, it may be legal to kill, you know, 100-something does a year and uh, three bucks, but should you? Right. You know, um, just think about the overall impact, and that's, you know, I think it's it's hard for people to grasp that, especially in Alabama, because we're such a, a free state. Like we have a lot of freedom. We have a lot of liberal, you know, policies, and by liberal, I mean, you know, not a lot of restriction. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, rifle season. Yeah. Is I mean, is there a longer rifle season in the country? I'm not aware of one. I don't think so. No. And I'm like, I mean, a lot of people will squawk about that. A lot of people go, well, if we would just rein in that rifle season, well, then we would have deer like Kansas does. And, um, I and I'm not here to argue one way or another. It I would just, improve age structure. It probably would. And I'm like, you know, not too long ago, uh, I believe Alabama was like number two in deer population i mean mm-hmm. pretty recently i was like 2019 or something right, like that. right behind like, texas yeah i think in in deer density mm-hmm. which is uh, which is crazy by the way that's something that's really hard to wrap my brain around especially yeah. when you go sit somewhere four or five times in a row and not see a deer <laughs> you know like oh no there's there's deer everywhere you're just a bad hunter I guess. well <laughs> it happens i'm hey i mean my saturday experience i sat a place saturday morning and again, Sunday afternoon that I typically see no less than 12 deer, sometimes as many as, you know, mid twenties. And I've seen three total. Yeah. I don't know what's up. The deer signs there, yeah. the covers there, the foods there, no deer. They're just not showing in daylight hours. Right. So it happens. But, um, you know, I, I hit panic mode when, uh, the state of Alabama went, that gave the 10 days in February hunting in North Alabama. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I had a problem with it. Still do. <laughs> oh, really? Major. Yeah, I do. The problem is what? Just Well, I just don't think that the reasons used are justifiable reasons to, to pass that. I got you. Well, I mean, for me, the frustrating part was at the time when that happened, I was hunting primarily Jackson County. Mm-hmm. And you guys can say what you want about this stuff i'm just telling you i was there i saw it with my own eyes like deer didn't rut like mm-hmm. they didn't you would hunt the entire what was supposed to be the rut it was right. supposed to be oh man bucks are going to be chasing does you know deer running everywhere and it just didn't happen right and then you would get into turkey season and you'd have trail camera pictures of deer running wild and you'd have still have scrapes everywhere right. and all this kind of stuff and it's like man i wish we could 
you know, extend this on out just a little bit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and, and have a little bit more of a chance. And I'm, when they did it, it was like, oh. Yeah, geez. and I'm not going to say there's not areas where it was justified, but statewide, absolutely not. And, and my reason is because you've got in the majority of central and north Alabama, you've got between a late December with the exception of Bankhead and a few mm-hmm. other par- you know areas where you've got earlier ruts, but late December to mid to late January is the peak breeding season. Then you are making bucks eligible for harvest 10 days into February after the completion of the rut when they are absolutely enslaved to their stomachs. Mm-hmm. And we've got cell cameras and bait everywhere and 10 more days of rifle season. You can kill every deer on a place. In those 10 days. You can kill every deer on a place in those 10 days. I've seen it. <laughs> you can do it. So the it. only deer that don't get shot are the ones that you don't want to shoot. Yeah. So I just, I, I just, I, I think that it's going to lead to even more sex ratios that are skewed heavily toward females. Mm-hmm. And there's shed bucks being shot. Like 10 to 15% of the bucks that I see bring, brought into uh, processors in North Alabama are shed bucks. Really? Oh, yeah. Man, that's wild. Yep. And those are native deer. Those are not, you know, those are not the bankhead deer. Mm-hmm. Those are native Alabama deer. Right. That are shedding in late January to early February. Wow. That's now, you know, that's, those are the exceptions. If you look that on the bell curve, those are the first few mm-hmm. that start to shed. Most of them are going to shed in March. Right. But, you know, it, it's happening. Man, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like there could be a part two to this coming up. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this for, for <laughs> right. episodes. Yeah, we could. Several. Cool, man. Well, uh, guys, that's pretty much going to wrap this up. I appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up here pretty soon. Um, I know that uh, Matt and Jeremy are both heading to Kansas here in the next few weeks because mm-hmm. uh, that's where the big ones live. <laughs> i got to kill one in Alabama first. That's true. Yeah, got to kill one in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm getting to go on an SOA hunt, which I'm pretty excited about. If you guys aren't familiar with those, it's a special opportunity area. So – you get to um, put in for some public land that, you know, it, the only people that get to hunt it is uh, people that get drawn. And so uh, a friend of mine was very generous uh, to take me with him because I didn't get drawn <laughs> for anything, but he, he drew. And so he's going to take us down to uh, a place in deep south Alabama. So I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. about what that looks like in a couple weeks. But um guys stick around i know that we've talked about a lot of hunting content lately and i'm going to keep saying this um that's the season we're in right now is is hunting season but that is not what this plate this podcast and what this this brand southern U is going to be um it just happens to be where we are when we launched but uh, you're going to hear a lot more about you know diversifying your habitat and improving your habitat uh, way beyond just wildlife and those sort of things ways to uh improve like we said soil quality or timber production if you've got an investment property that you're trying to get the most out of um, any of those type things Uh, if you're a farmer and you're trying to plant you know (laughs) trying to get the the highest yield that you can we're going to be talking about some of that stuff too Mm -hmm. herbicides all kinds of good stuff so we appreciate you guys hanging out and uh, we will see you guys for episode number four here in in two weeks later gator (laughs) thanks guys